0: Log Talk Radio. And now, Geico's savings stories. Russell Burton closed his laptop, having just switched his car insurance to Geico. He didn't think much of it until... Savings were everywhere. My pockets, uh, wallet, bank accounts. It was like the savings were following me. Following, indeed. All because of an innocent 15 minutes on Geico.com. I feel like I'm never alone. Geico, spend 15 minutes and 15% or more in savings could be following you.
1: K.I.R.P. Radio! Good evening, you are listening to K.I.R.P. Radio. Guest host, Rocco P. Tonight I'll be discussing a biblical view of the coronavirus crisis. A biblical view of the coronavirus crisis. Last week I had discussed the coronavirus crisis. I demonstrated facts which I believed illustrated or demonstrated that the crisis is largely manufactured uh, the testing is bogus. In other words, the testing that they're using. We see these authoritative numbers saying each day a uh, number of people confirmed with uh, with COVID, a uh, number of people confirmed and ethanol. They have not. Those tests do not isolate the virus. <laughs> the tests don't even isolate the virus. Furthermore, even other mainstream news articles. I read a Yahoo uh, News dot Yahoo News dot com piece which said. When you consider, and others have said this, like the president of Brazil, for example, Bolsonaro, who's not using police state measures to lock down his economy and destroy, to lock down his country and destroy the economy as is occurring in the States right now and elsewhere. But uh, President Bolsonaro of Brazil basically said, in all probability, uh, many, many other people are infected, and that's the case. So also when you factor that in, that many others are, are infected, and some people will see if you read past the headlines, most people do not have any symptoms. Uh, It is not deadly for the vast majority of people. Uh, The virus has been deadly. The vast majority of people that have died are those that have serious pre-existing conditions, such as emphysema. In Italy, a lot of the younger people that died, younger, relatively speaking, than people who died in the States, people in their 40s that died, those are a lot of people that had tuberculosis. They had TB, which was latent. Then you get a flu, and yes, then it could be fatal. So when you factor in... The reality that not only is the test bogus, but even if you go with the numbers that they have, since the test hasn't isolated the virus, when many when you realize many many more people are already infected, the fatality rate is well under one percent. Then, so this is nothing more. And I could quote other experts. experts I'm not going to go there tonight. They basically said this is uh, this is outrageous what's being done when. This isn't even as serious as a normal, the normal seasonal flu. Uh, and again, we could just go to the CDC's numbers. That's another way you could debunk this. And you can see with the CDC's numbers, look what they say for seasonal flu last year and this year as far as how many people have died as well as how many people they claim have been infected. And again, I'm not going to go down there tonight. I'm not going to spend time on that tonight in detail. You can look at those numbers at the CDC's own site. Even if those numbers are inflated, which is probably the case, that still shows that this response that the government has given us is completely unjustified i believe this is orchestrated or this is this is a coordinated this is a manufactured crisis and how should the church respond to it one thing i would say simply off off the bat and if you do want to get on the air if you are listening tonight that number is 619 638 i'll get you on the air One thing i'd say off the bat is this it's one thing at any time of the year regardless of what any level of government federal state local county says if you're in a so-called high-risk category for example if you're you know over 65 over 70 and you have copd you have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease all right obviously then you want to take certain precautions now if you as an individual then decide to restrict your movements decide, decide to, to restrict and even severely restrict your interaction with other people, I I would fully understand that. That is that's a decision you can make as an individual. You see, what's going now with the government, this is fundamentally different because the government is basically saying we're going to take draconian measures, including destroying the economy, including telling people they can't work because we're going to protect you. And, again, it's the same government that says life in the womb isn't life. Uh, there's no reason to believe that the government is above board, apart from what I shared simply about the stats that, you know, this is a manufactured crisis. But let's say even if it was real, it's fundamentally different, again, if any individual, regardless of their background, if they believe that they were at risk, it's completely different if that individual decides, okay, well, I will stop going to church, for example, indefinitely because, you know, it's flu season or whatever. Or even indefinitely, whatever, if they just say, well, I am, I believe my health is at such a risk and I, I want to be a good steward of my body. I'm going to decide, you know, I'm just not going to go shopping. I could have other people do that, and I'm just not going to go to church. Now, it's one thing if an individual decides that, in other words, if you, if someone decides that at an individual, if they exercise their own liberty, I fully respect that. What we're experiencing now is fundamentally different. This is a state using the power, using coercive power, power, forcing people throughout this once great country with threat, with the threat of force, threat of arrest and or fines. The National Guard has been activated in at least 30 states. All right. We have the National Guard now. I read one article. It was it was very entertaining. One article said the National Guard is greeting people coming off off visitors from other, from getting out of an airport in Florida. The National Guard is greeting visitors from other states at, at airports in Florida. Now they're not greeting them. They're screening them. Okay. And they also checkpoints at certain places, not at every at every interstate going into Florida. Okay. Uh, we have people in Rhode Island. Police there are going, if they see a New York state license plate, they're just going knocking on people's doors without a warrant and then detaining people. And that might be people from New York that have been there a couple of months. You know, They own properties and stuff. So this is – what we're seeing is completely different. Once again, if an individual, believer or or unbeliever, if they want to exercise their own liberty to restrict their movements or interactions with others – that is that's completely commendable. But what we're seeing now is fundamentally different. This is a power grab. This is a power grab. Even I was even I would say, even if this virus was deadly, and it's not. Again, when you're looking at yeah, you know, fatality rate of yeah, you know, right now if you go with the official numbers, just under what 1.2, 1.4 percent. Again, those numbers are cooked because the testing is worthless, and tons more people are already infected. But even if you, even if you go with that mortality, that fatality rate, let's say it was a lot higher. Let's say we had something really, really deadly out there that would be worthy of the hype we've seen 24/7 the last couple of weeks. Let's say if we had something right now that one of every three people, regardless of pre-existing conditions, regardless of three pre-existing conditions, let's say 33% of the people were dying, would it would it be right then still for the government to do what they've done? I think not. I think not. Uh, there's a, there's a background to this. Again, we, we will get into the Bible. We will get into the t- we will get into the text tonight to see what principles are involved. As far as believers' responsibility, particularly to the state. But there's background to this to understand in our context. Conservative biblical interpretation would state there's one there's one interpretation to every text, and there's a variety. There's many different applications. There's one one correct interpretation, many applications. So. What you have to do when you interpret a text, you have to be sensitive to how the text was written. Okay, obviously, you, know, you know, original language comes come into place at times. You have, to be, you have to be careful with the culture there. And then once you interpret it correctly, then when you apply it, you've got to be careful, too, to understand the culture or society that you're in, that you're applying correctly in the culture in which you live. Okay, and I think, by and large, arch you know, the uh the conservative evangelical the fundamental and the fundamental church in America in the states has failed to do that in other words, we haven't really appreciated or understood key aspects about our society, particularly how law works and this has resulted in a lot of a lot of pain uh, a lot of unnecessary suffering, a lot of things the church is doing that's wrong uh, and uh, I'll explain that later. But that, that's, that's the basics of biblical interpretation. You have, you have, there's going to be one correct interpretation of text and ma- manifold applications. So you've got to interpret the text correctly, and in order to apply it correctly, you have to understand when you're applying it what culture you're in. Uh, and, yeah, I could give you a, yeah, just a simple example of that as, as for our culture. In certain Far Eastern cultures, not all, it would, it, it's a grave insult if you, would, uh, if you would shake a married woman's hand It'd be a grave insult to do that in certain ones. Now in the States, they're making all handshaking shaking out loud. So that application is, uh, I guess it's somewhat dated after the last two or three weeks. Even President Trump has now said he's not sure we should ever shake hands again, which is terribly sad. Uh, and of course, another example in, in the text of the Bible itself we have, I believe, at least four times talks about a holy kiss. You know, we don't do that here, okay? And there's reasons reasons we don't, but you have to grapple with the text to see why is that they did that then, why don't we do it now? So you have to understand the text, you have to interpret it right, and then you've got to understand the culture and to apply it correctly because every culture is different. The biblical truths are the same. So right here and now in the States, uh, we have, with conservative churches, uh, believing churches, we do have, shall we say, somewhat of a problem. To give you some background about this, I'm going to play part of a video the NRA put together about what happened after a Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. Okay, Guns were confiscated by law-abiding Americans in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. Okay, Hurricane Katrina occurred in 2005, and then I believe the NRA put this video out in 2007. So I'm going to play part of this video, make a few comments.
2: No one will be able to be on. We take all the
3: weapons. It was a human drama with emotions and tensions running high. Patty Connie is still trying to recover physically and emotionally. They really did a number on me. From the day police forced her from her home. It was traumatic. All of a sudden, they were banging on the front door, the side door, and the back door. And they said, let us in. Patty tried to explain. She was on dry land, she had plenty of food and water, and didn't want to abandon her dogs. But it didn't matter. If you seen six or eight police that look like linebackers pushing you in a corner, you're, you're in shock. I'd
1: now, stop the video for a second. There's, there's really something that that's extremely important in what was said in, in this piece they were trying they show up at this woman's house this elderly 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 woman's house and she she, she showed them that they knew the neighborhood she was in she said this is a dry area okay I haven't been flooded she could say okay i have plenty of food i have plenty of water i don't want to leave and one reason i don't want to leave is you know i have some pets i've got some dogs i want to take care of but that didn't matter you see the government was going to protect her from herself and this is something fundamentally you know, believers, Christians, and non-believers alike have to have to grapple with in the States. When we get to the point, we're well past it now in the United States, where the government could say, we are going to decide, we are going to restrict your liberties to protect you from yourself, all bets are off. In other words, how far does that go? Really, how far does that go? This is a very dramatic example of what happened in New Orleans with Katrina when they decided – profoundly stupid, during a time of crisis, to then take people's guns away.
3: Say, so look at all my food. I got plenty of food. They kept pushing me back, pushing me back, and ended up like this. Then, Patty showed them a small revolver she was carefully holding in the palm of her hand. A camera crew was there to capture what unfolded next. <laughs> I said, It's not even loaded. And I dropped it on the floor. You hey. got a gun. Well, they punched me in the face. Lock, lock. Look at my black and blue marks. Look at look at what they did to me. They dragged me out of here.
4: I really thought they were gonna kill me. I really did. We were coming back across the lake is when we got stopped by Coast Guard and St. Tammany Sheriff's Department and the National Guard by gunpoint. We had identification. We were coming back from a house that we
5: were taking the weapons out of so criminals wouldn't break in and steal them. And we've had uh, policemen tell us that that's what they wanted us to do, but not the sheriff in St. Tammany. They just wanted to confiscate it from us.
4: We felt like criminals at the time when they come up to us with M-16s or AR-15s, whatever it was, but there were four of them with rifles and holding on us with our hands in the air until they got in our boat.
5: So they got on the boat and they asked us, do you have any loaded weapons? Yes, we do. They're in the two back compartments. Wayne went to show them where the gun was, and he screams, don't touch it, don't even move, I'll get it.
4: I felt, felt like it was un-American, and, and we had been violated when they you know, took them. <laughs> like I said, we were shells out. We were just sitting around looking at each other and said, we just got our guns taken away from them.
5: They took them. And they didn't have a, a
4: right to take them. They didn't have a reason to
5: take them. That was the thing. We did nothing wrong. But they took them anyway. He said, be thankful we're taking your guns here. Why should I be thankful? Well, if they catch you with them on land, they're going to take you straight to jail. We
1: live in proof. Okay, now, th- did you catch that in the video? Th- this is part of the manipulation of the American people. They violate those two gentlemen's rights. Police in previous jurisdictions said the best thing to do if you got guns sitting somewhere is get them so in case there's looting, they're not, they're not stolen. They get them, secure them, put them on the boat, and then the sheriff with and or the coast guard tells them no we're taking them they take them at gunpoint, which was immoral and illegal And then they tell we well, should be lucky because this happened on dry land you'd be arrested so think about think about how horrible that is you should be lucky that i just i just illegally stole your guns because i have a badge and bigger guns and i pointed my guns at you first but you know you could have been arrested for that also And this is the way part of the psychological operation works, the way they beat down the American public, the the way they demean us, the way they demoralize us, the way they brainwash us. It's just like they take away your rights, and then when it isn't as bad as it could be, then you should be thankful you 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 know you should be thankful if 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 the government says oh uh, you know we can get together in a month from now we should be thankful you know maybe if we could, if we can meet then you know the end of april we should be thankful because it could have been june or july if they said so you know with you know what's again what's the proof again when you look at the testing when you look at the numbers this is a manufactured crisis so this is the way part of the manipulation of the public works you should be thankful that they don't violate your rights as much as they could. You should be thankful.
4: But all they have to do is say, "Look, this is the law."
5: You had that feeling that you were violated. You, you, they took something from you. They stole something from you. That's the only way to put it. They took something that they didn't have a right to take.
3: Would you come and get my gun, for? I'm a good citizen, Marie Galatis. A-
1: I'll stop the video there. There was more. It uh, goes on to say that when they took those guns, you had they they gave they, they gave no one receipts. And last last uh, segment, they were all good. The last segment, a gentleman who had his gun stolen from some place, uh, asked for a receipt. He says, "You're not going to get any." And it was I don't know how many I don't know how many guns they took. I read in one place it was a thousand. The other place it was well over a thousand. But I heard it was extremely difficult for anyone to get those firearms back, because then when they showed up whenever at one point to get them back, they said, well, because, because the people that took them were terrible and they didn't give them receipts, they said, oh, well, they, we don't have time to do that, okay? Because they didn't do that, because they were irresponsible, and of course, the confiscation was illegal anyway, you were supposed to then produce your original basic receipt that you had when you bought the gun. So, you know, you could have had guns handed down to the family. You could have gotten a gun 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. But then the state said, if you want to get it back, you have to produce your original receipt that you purchased it. So, you know, that's just, yeah, you know, that's the gift that keeps on giving. Now, I start out with this. I start out with this because part of what happened in New Orleans, this was facilitated by some pastors. This was facilitated by some pastors. The story had broken before where I'm about to play. I'm about to play a news, a uh, two-minute news segment. The story had broken before this that there were clergy response teams that were basically working under the auspices of the DHS, Department of Homeland Security, or FEMA. Okay, So a federal agency had essentially recruited, they had recruited certain pastors, and the reason they had recruited them was to, uh, indoctrinate them so that if there was ever any gun confiscation that they would uh, help their congregations submit to gun confiscation again now the story broke before we're about to play um, I'm playing a piece from KSLA Channel 12 in Shreveport, Louisiana you can find this online just on their YouTube KSLA uh, Clergy Response Team should pop up or Homeland Enlist Clergy KSLA should pop up But this piece popped up again, and this was published, the little news article was published by KSLA on August 15th. Again, I'll play the the two-minute video presentation. They put together the two-minute news piece. But think about that, that the federal government has actively enlisted vocational ministers to help control the public and their congregations if they have to to confiscate guns. Think about the morality. Think about the morality of that. And I'll play this piece from KSLA. Again, Katrina hit New Orleans at the end of August 2005. This piece came out two years after that, August 15, 2007. Law ever become a
3: reality in America? Some fear any nuclear, biological, or chemical attack on U.S. territory might trigger just that. And as News 12 Jeff Bell discovered, the clergy would help the government with potentially their biggest problem:
0: us. My phone, get ahead. Charlton Heston's famous declaration captures a truly American value: the overarching desire to protect our freedoms. But gun confiscation is exactly what happened during the state of emergency following Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. U.S. troops also arrived, something far easier to do even now thanks to last year's elimination of the 1878 Posse Comitatus Act that forbid U.S. troops from policing on American soil. If martial law were enacted here at home, like depicted in the movie The Siege, easing public fears and quelling dissent would be critical. And that's exactly what the clergy response team, as it's called, helped accomplish in New Orleans. The primary thing that we say to anybody is let's cooperate and get this thing over with, and then we'll settle the differences once the crisis is over. Such clergy response teams would walk a tightrope between the needs of the government versus the wishes of the public in a lot of cases these clergy would already be known in the neighborhoods in which they're helping to defuse that situation. For the clergy, one of the biggest tools that they will have in helping calm the public down or obey the law is the Bible itself, specifically Romans, Romans 13. Because the government established that order, you know, and that's what we believe in the Christian faith, that's what's stated in the scripture. Civil rights advocates believe the amount of public cooperation may depend largely on how long they expect a the suspension of their rights might last Jeff Farrell, KSLA News 12 reporting
3: according to Tuberville during Hurricane Katrina the clergy response team provided 38 chaplains a day around the clock at 8 different camps
1: and that was interesting I didn't, I didn't do any research on that uh, that uh, I, I don't know if it was chaplain or pastor uh, Tuberville But it's interesting. Yeah, he to Romans 13. We will look at that in a few moments. We'll look at that. We'll look at that text. But he says uh, the mentality again, his his attitude, his disposition, uh, his perspective was horribly flawed. It's like we'll just we'll just submit during a crisis and then we'll settle the differences later. Yeah, why don't you tell that to the people that lost all those guns and then when they showed up to get them when they were legally confiscated, they were told, "No, nah, you need your original sales receipt or you can't have them back." Well, yeah, that didn't work out too well, does it? And the implication is always that well, if you have a crisis, it'll be you know, just you just submit because, the you know, whatever restriction will be lifted. Who says? Who says, just think about how radically bad the country has changed since 9-11 when you literally have TSA agents molesting people. Never changed. And you had all that security theater. First it was first it was nail clippers. Then it was, they said you couldn't have four ounces, I believe, of liquid. Then it couldn't be eight ounces of liquid. Just It, it had never stopped. If you can get more information about the clergy response team if you search on YouTube. Uh, one guy one guy set up a channel. He did. He has... Part five of an interview with Alex Jones, whether you like Alex Jones or dislike him, this goes back to 2007. He had interviewed one pastor in Ohio who went to the meetings. He was recruited, and he went in to just find out what was going on. He thought it was hard. Uh, he thought it was a horrible thing. But you can see that online. If you go to YouTube, just search for he, FEMA pastors. FEMA pastors is a five-part interview. FEMA pastors 105. FEMA pastors 105. And that should pop up. In that case, I'll, K S L P K S L A P uh out of Shreveport, Louisiana. <clears throat> this is very interesting. So they mentioned mentioned again that one let me pull it up that one that one clergyman. Let's see who it was, Du Just wanna see if I can pull up that oracle again that accompanied the video. I just should just played uh he so it was Dr. Durrell Tuberville. He says he was a chaplain for the Shreveport Fire Department and the Cato Sheriff's Office. Again, his quote, the primary thing we say to anybody is, let's cooperate and get this thing over with. And then we'll settle the differences once the crisis is over. Once again, people had their guns confiscated. Never got them back unless they had original sales receipt. Never got them back. Who says the crisis would ever end? And that also avoids the initial constitutional question, which we'll look at, which is, was it right in the first place? Was it right in the first place? And that, that gentleman, uh, Turberville, uh, says he serves as the director to Cato Bossier, or did serve as the director to Cato Bossier Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness. Okay, that was Sandy Davis. He was the director. He was in the video too, I believe. Sandy Davis, director of Cato Bosier Office, Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness. So that's uh, something that happened in the not too distant past here in the United States of America. So we look at we look at this situation again. How uh, how do we how do we respond to this? Uh, what would be be the biblical response to the coronavirus crisis, or would it be? Basic biblical principles, there's three spheres or jurisdictions of authority. I think it's clear in the Bible, the family, the church, and civil or secular government. In the Old Testament, I would interpret the the text to say that the church is not spiritual Israel. There There is a distinction between Israel and the Old Testament, and even spiritual Israel and the church in the New Testament. So under the Old Testament times you could say wasn't technically a church, but Israel was a theocracy, so there you had both civil and religious authority under the state. I think there's three jurisdictions and even in Israel there's a distinction, you know, the Levites had their sphere of authority. Uh not anyone could serve as a priest if anyone's you know, I'm sure if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that. So even within Israel's authority, there was a distinction between those that had religious authority and those who didn't. There's three basic spheres or jurisdictions of authority, the family, the church, and civil or secular government. Family, again, initiated prior to sin. So you see that's that's the building block. It's the building block of everything else. And I've heard some pastors say you can really look at any church, and a church is really only as strong as families in it. And not to a large degree, that's the case, because most churches aren't comprised of individuals. They are comprised of family members. So if the families aren't strong, then uh, the local church would not be strong. Romans 13, 1-7. I'm going to read from the New King James, but I'm not New King James only. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for he is God's minister for you, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor so it's very clear Uh, God has established that authority we would see that even if we didn't have Romans 13 the question is and we'll we'll get back to this I'm not going to answer right now I'm going to pose this in a moment number one within our structure the governing authorities we don't have uh, we do not have a monarchy Uh, the ultimate authority does not rest within an individual (laughs) we don't have that Okay, the reason the American Revolution was revolutionary—no pun intended—is because it produced a document that guaranteed certain liberties to people. The Brits had had a constitution, but it wasn't written; it was oral. The the uh, the U.S. starting uh, with the Declaration of Independence, written by Thomas Jefferson when he was the ripe old age, I believe, about 33. Starting with the Declaration of Independence. The birth document of the states, then then goes to the Articles of Confederation, which was a fine document. I wish we would have stuck with that. I'm not going to get into that tonight. And then that was that was replaced by the current Constitution. Uh, the authority rests in then that document, not in people. We're not in a monarchy. That's one thing. A lot of Christians think, well, if someone's in authority, if you have a president or a governor and they say something, you have to submit. No, no, that no, they're not above the Constitution. Uh, they're they're subject to it also. Their rights are circumscribed by that. Circumscribed by that. They don't have unlimited authority. So the basic question I would render is: If you understand the context in which we live, if you understand the basics of what a constitutional republic is, are there any limits to the authority of secular government? I'm not going to answer that question yet. I'm posing it: Are there any limits to that? Getting to that point, I'll give you an illustration. Compare the authority of a husband in marriage, Ephesians 5:22 to 24. Reading again from the New King James, Ephesians 5:22 to 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So that's a pretty broad, some pretty broad teaching there. Okay. Says husband's head of the wife is also Christ's head of the church, and to interpret that correctly, uh, you, if you understand the doctrine of the Trinity or the triunity of God or trinitarian monotheism, Christ is really God as is the Father, but Christ, Christ is no less God than the Father. Yet he voluntarily submitted to him. Okay, so the woman, the wife, is not any any less a human being than than her husband, but God's appointed him as her head or as authority and she's to voluntarily submit to him. So it's not correct, just like Christ Christ voluntarily submitted to the Father. You might think of many texts where Christ said, He's talking about his death, he said, I have power to lay my life down, I have power to take it up. Okay, he had that power. But he submitted to the Father. Therefore, verse twenty four, Just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. In those last two words pretty broad in everything. Wives should be uh, wives should be subject to their husbands in everything. Now, in the conservative biblical interpretation, uh, take, for example, someone like John MacArthur, probably no modern preacher, maybe no preacher outright has influenced me as much as uh, Pastor MacArthur. So I've been listening to him for so many years, a good 25 years, listening to his sermons, reading his books. But John MacArthur, as would the vast majority of uh, conservative evangelical and fundamental pastors would say, the husband's authority over his wife isn't unlimited. A husband's authority over his wife is not unlimited. For example, if a husband saved or lost one and his wife to get an abortion, she should not submit to that. That would be murder. That would be wrong. If a husband would beat his wife for any reason, that would be wrong. And there's other biblical texts, obviously, that make that explicit. She should not submit to that. Uh, her husband should be resisted. And there'd be other areas, too. But those are just two very clear-cut, simple examples. If a husband uh, told his wife she should get an abortion, she should not submit to that. That would be sin. If a husband beat his wife, she should not submit to that. Uh, that would be sin. So the husband's authority is not absolute, yet God has established authority in the home. So, unfortunately, we've seen to come... To get we we've come to the point in the states where we've gotten this idea that submission to secular government is unlimited we've unfortunately adopted this position that submission to secular government is unlimited and if you think if you think I'm exaggerating if you think that I'm basically stating something uh, to just be dramatic that that is not the case, that I'm misrepresenting what's going on now, consider what's going on, consider what's happened to churches in the United States that claim to hold to the Bible as their final authority. Conservative evangelical fundamental churches would have something about, yeah, the Bible being their ultimate authority, that they have a doctrinal statement of faith, but any any doctrine, any practice has to has to be tested by scripture. Okay. The state has said the church can't meet. And most churches, again, I'm not reading everybody all over the country, but of uh, you know the so-called you know conservative evangelical superstars, again, among the most prominent, John MacArthur, they're just not meeting. Uh, they've rolled over. Now, if you think about it, the word church is an interesting word, the ekklisia in the Greek, and the word church basically means assembly. It was used also outside you know the you know, the context of New Testament assembly but there is no church if you don't have a meeting. Did, do you get that? That there is no church. If a church doesn't meet, it isn't a church. Period. It's that simple. doesn't exist. just doesn't exist. Yet the state has said they've made an edict, and again, we'll look at the constitutional veracity, the constitutional integrity of those statements, whether you look at the federal level by the president or at, you know, level, state level by certain governors. I look at Governor Cooper since I live in North Carolina. I'm familiar with the North Carolina Constitution. But the state has made an edict based upon they declare an emergency and always watch out. Watch out when government at any level declares an emergency because then they do things they can't normally do. Ram the Bull Emanuel, that was his nickname, was President Barack Hussein Obama, uh, first chief of staff. And Barack Hussein Obama, otherwise known as AKA, also known as Barry Satoro, he grew up as Barry Satoro. His second, uh, his stepfather, whose last name was Satoro, adopted him, and then he reinvented himself as Barack Hussein Obama somewhere along the line. But uh, he was President Obama's uh, first chief of staff around the Bull Emanuel, and it's a good video. I didn't pull it up tonight, where uh, you can pull it up on YouTube. Don't let a good, don't let any crisis go to waste. He was talking about that in terms of. Gun restrictions, but don't let a good crisis go to waste. Because when a crisis occurs, then governments could do things they can't normally do. And I'm not basically throwing rocks at him just because he's a Democrat. I'm just saying he said it because the uh, current president is a Republican, and there's been very little respect for our liberties at this point, very little. Not only have churches decided not to meet, which essentially means – and it's indefinite too. In other words, the proclamation, the edict is open-ended. Initially, President Trump said August. Now he's thrown out end of April. Certain people in the administration have said 12 to 18 months, which would coincide with uh, when supposedly a vaccine will be uh, will be available. 12 to 18 months. There's uh, last week on the air. I said there was one. I thought I was mistaken. I thought there was one. Uh, corporation in Israel that had exclusive rights to the vaccine. Now there's at least three three companies that are working on it. So I don't know if they're competing or there'll be a more than one vaccine on the market when they get it done. And I also said, incidentally, on the air last week, I would not take that vaccine. And uh, the reason I would not take it is because the government has been wrong. And I, I had mentioned about what happened with, with President Ford, I think, around 1976, uh, there was a swine flu scare. started at Fort Dix in New Jersey, and he wanted the entire country vaccinated. When it was all over, only one person died of the swine flu, and uh, I think I don't know, it was 30 people died of Guillain-Barre syndrome. Over 500 people got a nerve disease, Guillain-Barre syndrome reaction to the vaccine. So the vaccine killed more people than uh, the alleged flu. So now I will not be taking it. And will not be taking it. Uh, not only has the church agreed to not meet indefinitely, and again, a church that doesn't meet isn't a church. So you could say whatever you want about you know, interaction on the Internet, meetings, a church that doesn't meet isn't a church. Not only has the church said, okay, we'll decide to not be a church until you tell us open-ended. Do you realize you know, there's two ordinances I would take the position, you know, basically, that there's two ordinances in the New Testament. There's believers, baptism by immersion, and there's communion. And, you know, if you're a god fearing Presbyterian, again, you know, we disagree about, you know, the mode of baptism and, and who gets baptized. Uh, in any case, whether you're a Presbyterian or not, if you go along with this, you're basically saying indefinitely there's no baptisms. And what I think is even more egregious than that, there's no communion until the state says so. So this is this is horrible. This is a terrible power grab, and it doesn't surprise me that the churches have rolled over. I guess it surprises me that there's not that that you know the vast majority have. In other words, and we're going to look at some reasons why churches have this mindset where they're you're basically treating with all due respect. They're acting they're treating the government as if the government's God, uh, because that's superseding biblical authority to say you can't meet. You can't have baptisms. You can't have communion open-ended. I mean, it'd be wrong if they did it for one week, much less open-ended. Let's look at some texts which may be familiar to you. Uh, if you are familiar, if you're basically familiar, with bin have been in church at, for any period of time, let's look at a few texts and apply them to the current situation. Acts 5, 26 to 20, 32. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence. This is talking about after Paul had been beaten in Philippi. Excuse me, And then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? I'm in the wrong part. That's not in Philippi's in Jerusalem. I'm getting ahead of myself. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? This is before Paul's conversion. And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So that's a, pretty, that's a pretty familiar verse there. Uh, verse 28, Sanhedrin says, Did we not strictly command you, Peter and the others, not to teach in this name? And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine or teaching, and tend to bring this man's blood on us, meaning Christ. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. So right now, I would say with all due respect, if you're not meeting on Sunday, I can't see how you say you're obeying God. You're obeying men. Uh, if you if you basically go into default mode, of Romans 13, I I think your interpretation or your application of the text is wrong. With all due respect, I think it's I think it's wrong. Uh, the authority of the state is not unlimited. It wasn't unlimited in the first century. It's not unlimited now, and. These edicts now, based upon this, these open-ended emergency proclamations at the federal end or state level, uh, they're not constitutional. I can prove that. So they're not—they're not legal. Uh, they're just not legal. And even if they were, and even if they were, and even if they were, are you going to say? Are you really prepared to say, okay, well, if the government then arbitrarily and capriciously says, based upon the threat? of a virus even if the threat was real and I believe you know, the threat is extremely I, I believe to say it's overblown is an, is an understatement I believe that this crisis manufactured but even if it wasn't are you prepared to then say the state has the right to tell you not to meet for 12 to 18 months the state could basically suspend church for 12 to 18 months are you prepared to say that and say that the Bible is your authority I I respectfully disagree. Another text that's very familiar to Bible believing people would be Hebrews ten, twenty four and twenty five. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 24, 25, also reading from the New King James, though I'm not New King James only, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some brig's one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. You really don't want to interpret your culture and say, well, it was different in Hebrews because that was, that was individuals that didn't want to assemble together. So, could you conceive of that not being a violation of that text if the state tells the church they can't meet? And again, please, please, don't misunderstand me. The fact that the church has said there could be no people assembling doesn't make it doesn't make it right. It's still a violation of scripture, so again, I'd say, do you fear God or man more uh as I said before, conservative Biblical hermeneutics or the rules for interpreting Scripture maintain that every Biblical text is one correct interpretation in many applications. You have to correctly interpret the culture you live in, as well as correctly apply the text. Regarding Romans 13, the supreme federal authority is the federal constitution, the supreme state authority is the state constitution wherever you live. If you read through the Federal Constitution, it's only a few pages. Won't take that long, depending upon you know, the copy you have, how big the fonts are and all that. Uh, the seven articles in the Constitution, and then there's the amendments. There's no off switch in the Federal Constitution. In other words, you will find nothing in the seven articles of the Constitution or any amendment that says, if this happens, if something happens, if a crisis or emergency occurs, then this isn't valid. This isn't valid. I had said last week, and I'll I'll repeat this again, and again, you could pull up the archive from last week if you want, when I covered, talked about the testing, about how the coronavirus crisis is largely manufactured. But if you look at the federal constitution, understand the background. The constitution, when the constitution was adopted, there was very, very strong debate because you had people that were big government people. What had happened, the uh, People had met, and they privately met, and they said they were going to amend the Articles of Confederation. When they came out, they had a completely different, uh, they had a completely different compact, a completely different constitution, what we call our constitution now. So the big government people, like Alexander Hamilton, uh, basically said, you don't have to be worried about it. if anything isn't there. Yeah, it's, it's just the federal government doesn't have that authority. Period. And then you had people like Patrick Henry, who also happened to be a believer, and he was an anti-federalist. Okay, Let's talk about the federalist papers. Read the anti-federalist papers to see what their, yeah, you know, their warnings about the accumulation, you know, the growth of federal power. When you compare the Articles of Confederation to the current Constitution, and obviously the anti-federalists were correct because the federal government has grown to be something that's alien to the Constitution. But in any case, Patrick Henry basically said, "Well, no, there's there's no reason to trust you." So The Constitution was only adopted with the promise of the passage of the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights are negative affirmations. In other words, they're affirmations that make it clear what the federal government can't do. And it's amazing when you read some of the founders then, because you had doctors like Benjamin Rush, He wanted an amendment about medical freedom, basically saying the federal government can make no laws regarding medicine. That didn't get in. I wish it would have. They would have obeyed it. I wish they would have. But when you read the very first amendment, see what's going and compare what's going on now, you see this is egregious violation. Amendment one of the Federal Constitution. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. So right now, no one can assemble, so there goes the right to peaceably assemble. There's no assembly. There's no protest, uh, and as far as the free ex, as far as the free exercise of religion, that's gone. The state's basically saying, open ended, you can't meet as long as we tell you. Yeah. Okay. When you look at the North Carolina Constitution, I think the current Constitution was adopted in 1971, around there. They have similar language in the beginning. They have very similar language concerning the federal Bill of Rights and Article I Declaration of Rights. Very similar language. Okay. And uh, what what is some what some of the language there? Section 12, North Carolina Constitution. Okay. So this is, I'm reading from Article One, under the Declarations of Rights, Section 12: The people have a right to assemble together to consult for the common good, to instruct their representatives and to apply to the General Assembly for redress of grievances. but secret political societies are dangerous to the liberties of free people and shall not be tolerated. Section 13, Religious Liberty. All persons have a natural and inalienable right to worship Almighty God according to the dictates of their own consciences, and no human authority shall, in any case whatever, control or interfere with the rights of conscience. And then, very, it's very, very interesting what we also find then, In Section 7 there, in Article 1 of the Declaration of Rights in the North Carolina Constitution, suspending laws. All power of suspending laws or the execution of laws by any authority without the consent of the representatives of the people is injurious to their rights and shall not be exercised. So therefore, Governor Cooper could say and do whatever he wants. If the general legislature doesn't endorse it, it's not legal. Yet sad to say, you know, Christians are largely ignorant of the federal constitution, they're ignorant of the state constitution, so they submit to something that is uh, that is not is is patently illegal. If a law contradicts at the federal level contradicts constitution, it's not valid. Same thing at the state level, state law including including an emergency proclamation by the government. If that violates the constitution, it's not valid. It's not valid. How do we get this idea as Christians that submission to secular government is unlimited? Uh, how do we get this idea that submission to secular government is unlimited? Because right now, again, with all with all due respect, pretty much American pastors are acting as if the government is God. When you say you're not going to meet, the church is going to stop being a church. Then, yeah, even under the Soviet Union, it wasn't as bad. They'd have spies in the church, but they didn't say they couldn't meet. Now, some churches did meet secretly; those that didn't want to register, which was fine, but they didn't say you couldn't meet. <laughs> uh, how do we get how do we get to this point? Well, first off, uh, we wanted to look at the text again to get an idea, see something that happened with Paul. I'm going to read from Acts 16:35 to 40, and this was in Philippi. I, I, when I was looking at Acts 5 with Peter, I got confused. This is uh, after after Paul was beaten in Philippi, how he responded in this particular instance, Acts 13, 16, 35-40. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now, do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers to- told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid, that's the magistrates, when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out, and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had, been- had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So you see a fascinating interchange here. Exchange here. Paul was illegally beaten as a Roman citizen. Then when they found out, the magistrate showed up, the officers show up and say, the "Magistrate said the authorities, okay, now depart and go in peace. You know, just you know, leave." And Paul says, "They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. Now they put us out secretly. No one did let them come themselves and get us out." Paul was saying that to basically shame them. He was saying that to shame them because their rights had been violated as Roman citizens. It says in verse 38, and the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid. That's the magistrates who were afraid when, when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. Why were they afraid? Why were they afraid? We get, we get some background here in the MacArthur Study Bible. We get some background here in the MacArthur Study Bible, his note on 1637. To inflict corporal punishment on a Roman citizen was a serious crime, and made more so since Paul and Silas did not receive a trial. As a result, the magistrates faced the possibility of being removed from office and having Philippi's privileges as a Roman colony revoked. So not only could they be removed from office, but because uh, Roman citizens' rights were violated, Philippi could have had the Roman colony, colony status revoked. What did that involve? Then we look at the vote at MacArthur's note on verse 12, chapter 16 of Acts. Philippi became a Roman colony in 31 BC, so it carried the right of freedom. It was a self-governing and, indep- and independent of the provincial government. The right of exemption from tax and the right of holding land in full ownership. Do you get that? That's the privileges they enjoyed as a colony there in Philippi they had they were exempt from tax and the right to hold land in full ownership. That's something incidentally we don't have here in the states uh, <laughs> since the turn of the century we've adopted Marxism i I kid you not. this is why we have perpetual ad valorem taxes, and Republicans they don't even debate this, and very involved in the Republican Party and you know withdrew they don't even debate this in other words, if you own a home or a business. You pay perpetual ad valorem taxes. This is out of the Communist Manifesto. This was an American concept, but it came in, and that's uh, that's very, very sad. But that was that's what went on in Philippi, and Paul exerted his rights as Roman citizens, and they were afraid. Part of the problem we have in the States is that uh, the government doesn't fear the people. That includes Christians. The government doesn't fear the people. You can look at the writings of the Founders. Of, of uh, you know, really, you know, what we call the founding fathers, people like Thomas Jefferson and others, and it's very clearly talked a lot about tyranny coming out of the European, con- the European context, and yeah, you know, tyranny would be the accumulation of all power in one branch of government, whether, you know, three branches, whether it would be the uh, executive, being the president, uh, legislative, or judicial, that would be tyranny. And what do we see now? More and more power accruing to the executive branch, more and more power. What's going on in the states now is, is tyranny. Oh, this is tyranny. Not only can no one meet, including churches, and again, if you want to talk about uh, a crucial business or yeah, an essential business, it's, I mean, I'm joking. The church shouldn't be considered a business, but the reality is the government has, should have no authority over the churches, period. Certainly not to meet because, like I said, we're in we're in a situation now where indefinitely the church is in the church because they don't meet. But what else is going on that's tyranny right now? They're destroying private businesses. They're destroying private businesses. Before, understand, before sin, God created work. Okay, this is profound. Before sin, God created work. Now, then the earth was cursed, as we know. Things don't work right, yeah. You know? sweat. (laughs) That happens. Uh, But God, work is good. God created work before sin. Now the state has basically said, look, we're going to protect you from yourself. And our protection is so great, is deemed so great, we're going to tell you, you you can't work. So they closed down the restaurants. They closed down the restaurants had a little pushback from that from Dan Forrest, who I believe will be the next governor of the state of North Carolina, because he said his understanding was that the whole council of state would have had to endorse what Governor Cooper did. And my understanding is, no, no, no. The legislature would have had to endorse that. But in any case, at least there's a little pushback, even though it was token by our next governor, I believe, Dan Forrest, who is professing believer, incidentally. But this is tyrannical. In other words, the church is talking about this. There's a lot of really... There's a lot of uh, manipulation going on in and outside the church. People are saying that people have lost their jobs due to the coronavirus. P- people are saying churches can't meet due to the coronavirus. That is not true. That's not true. That's not true. People have lost – some people have lost their jobs directly because the state has said they can't go to work, and that's wicked. That, that's, that's tyrannical, and that should be denounced by the church. Churches can't meet, not because the coronavirus doesn't have the power to pass a law. Okay, And again, if individuals don't want to go to church or go outside their home, that's their liberty. I respect that. If, if you believe you're placing yourself at risk, I, I understand that. But it's a fundamentally different matter for the state to say no one can meet. That is tyranny. That is tyranny. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. I'm going to look at some of the reasons why the state has adopted this, this de facto position that government is God. What's what's gone wrong with the state and the church in the United States? Uh, you listen to the KRP Radio Show. Keeping it real Polish guest host Rocco P.
4: K I R P Radio. Oh.
1: RP Radio Show keeping real Pudgy miller guest host Rocco P talking about a biblical response to the manufactured coronavirus crisis and if things not manufactured to the coronavirus crisis. I'd mention there's a lot of wrong thinking. Uh, there's a lot of erroneous thinking about this. I've heard people in uh, outside the church say people have lost their job due to coronavirus. Uh, some you could say have. Uh, if uh, for example, if the restaurants were open, people didn't want to go to restaurants yet. But when the state says, you cannot work in a restaurant, we're going to close the restaurant. We're going to close anywhere people sit down and eat or drink. Uh, that's tyranny. Uh, that's wrong. Uh, God, again, created work before sin entered the universe. And to then say people cannot earn a living, that's tyranny. And that's wrong. To say we can't meet as believers due to the coronavirus is completely erroneous. No, no. The coronavirus didn't, didn't make any proclamation or law. The coronavirus didn't do that. We can't meet because the state said we can't meet, and people are submitting to that, and I believe they're submitting to that in error because they're giving the state more power than they should. They're basically acting as if the government is God. That's what they're, actually, that's what they're doing in the de facto sense. Uh Again, if the, if the church can't meet, you're letting the state say you can't have baptisms, and you certainly can't have communion. Oh. What's going to happen in the future? So, again, if you, if you honestly believe that the secular government doesn't have unlimited power, you'd have to ask yourself and say, what would the secular government tell you to do that you want to submit to? If they tell you you have to get tested for this virus, even though the test is erroneous and fanciful, Are you going to submit to that test? If they tell you to be vaccinated, are you going to be vaccinated? Uh, And again, I said before, and I'll say again, I will never submit to that that, to a vaccine that comes out. Why? And uh, you could go. This is all the internet. I'm looking at a wired.com article, March 24, 1976. Ford, meaning President Ford, order, swine flu shots for all. If you want to pull up the article yourself, search March 24, 1976, Ford order, swine flu shots for all. Okay. This happened, okay. Ford was acting on the advice of medical experts. He ordered a nationwide vaccination program to prevent a swine flu epidemic. Ford was acting on the advice of medical experts who believed they were dealing with a virus potentially as deadly as the one that caused the 1918 Spanish influenza pandemic. The virus surfaced in February at Fort Dix, New Jersey, where 19-year-old Private David Lewis told his real instructor he felt tired and weak, although not sick enough to skip a training hike. Lewis was dead within 24 hours. The autopsy revealed that Lewis had been killed by swine flu, an influenza virus originating in pigs. By then several of the soldiers had been hospitalized with symptoms. Government doctors became alarmed when they discovered at least five hundred soldiers saw five hundred soldiers on the base were infected without becoming ill. Okay. So mass action means Max mass vaccination started in October. Within weeks, reports started coming in of people developing Guillain-Barré syndrome, a paraly- paralyzing nerve disease, right after taking the shot. Within two months, 500 people were affected, and more than 30 died. Amid a rising uproar and growing public reluctance to risk the shot, federal officials abruptly canceled the program on October. Uh, Canceled the program December 16th. In the end, 40 million, 40 million Americans were inoculated and there was no epidemic. A later, more technically advanced examination of the virus revealed that it was nowhere near as deadly as the 1918 influenza virus. The only recorded fatality from the swine flu cells was the unfortunate Private Lewis. So, the best experts at the time told President Ford everyone should get a, flying shot, a swine flu shot. The best experts were wrong. They were wrong. Only one person died from that flu. 30 people died from from, uh, from the vaccine. And 500 people developed Guillain-Barre, and nerve disease. So, yeah, I am not a prophet nor a somber prophet. But when this vaccine comes out, mark my words, it's going to hurt far more people than the coronavirus has, whatever virus is out there. It's going to kill more people than the virus has. And, again, when you look at the numbers with coronavirus – most the vast majority of people that have died are those that had pre-existing serious medical conditions. Like in Italy, a lot of those people had tuberculosis. Here in the States, people are older. They've already had other illnesses. And And then basically getting the flu then pushes them over the edge. So keep that in mind. But would it be moral if the state then says, you have to get a vaccine? As a Christian, are you going to submit to that? I, I have no intention. I have no intention of doing so. If you believe the state has the authority, if this is moral that they could tell, they can tell us not to assemble, then you're in essence saying the state should control your health. If the state then restricts your diet, if, are you going to say, well, if the state says you can only eat so many calories or carbohydrates a day, are you going to submit to that? I'm dead serious. Would you submit to that? Because now you're saying, based upon this fear, the state supposedly claims they're protecting you. So you have to, among among other things, you have to stay six feet away from people. Well,
4: if,
1: if the state says they're going to restrict your diet because of your health, are you going to do that? Will you do that. What else is going on that the church isn't talking about, That's tyrannical? Well, they're, they're pushing to eliminate what's left of cash. They're pushing to eliminate what's left of cash. The toll booths in New York and New Jersey, I don't know about Connecticut, are no longer accepting cash, They're just saying cash is dirty, cash you know, may be infected, may be infected by the virus. So then that means if you don't have easy pass, which which helps track you, you get a bill in the mail that costs a lot more. So this, is, this again, this is a moral issue. Do you want to live in society without cash? Over the alleged the alleged, the alleged care of the government, saying that they want to protect you. Do you want to do that? One of the things President Trump said that was true is he talked about uh, unemployment and suicide, and there's a real link. And you can see that if you want to, if you want to find that online. How many people are going to take their lives because they've lost their job because the government said you couldn't earn a living? Okay, the government's going to be partially responsible for that, for taking away people's. Uh, for telling people that they can't work, but they 're not talking about that, so they're basically making everything they're making the epicenter of the universe this virus which isn 't even that lethal at all just saying you can 't work you can 't meet because the government's going to protect you from yourself, which is insane i'm going to read a little brief piece uh thomas d lorenzo 's right he's written a lot about exposing President Lincoln. a uh, half a million Americans die every year from medical mistakes. Yet Trump puts a bunch of government doctors in charge of turning America into a totalitarian fascist state under the assumption that everything these experts say about the corona cold virus is God's truth. Like the original prediction of that British Dr. Ferguson, that 250,000 British citizens would die from COVID-19, he's now reduced it to 20,000 or substantially lower than that. Oops. The CDC doctors based their original response partly on this wildly inaccurate speculation by an obvious flake. So I get back to the question, how did we get the idea as Christians that submission to secular government is unlimited? How did we get that idea? Because we know full well, uh, in, in, in marriage, a wife, a husband doesn't have unlimited authority over his wife. A wife should not submit to her husband when he tells her to do sinful things like end an abortion. So how do we get this idea that when it comes to the sphere or the jurisdiction of secular government, that's unlimited? Well, I think there's a number of reasons that that we're basically under this this deception in the States as Christians. Number one, the negative aspect of nationalism, the negative aspect of nationalism. Nationalism has a very good side and a very bad side. The good side of nationalism is is this – when you're thinking about policy and when you're thinking about laws laws should be made that would be beneficial to the united states at the expense of other nations we shouldn't think globally in that sense in other words you have free trade that's a good thing but you have free trade to benefit the united states we don't have laws that then put american workers at risk for example there's been a lot of outsourcing over the years to mexico and then to china Laws could change that. I'm not talking necessarily about protectionism. There's no laws that could change things like that. But no. So, but the downside of nationalism is this: uh, when you maintain, when you adopt a perspective, an attitude, disposition, that your government could never do things, would never act, except in the interests of the people. Yeah, you know, that is erroneous. Uh, that's erroneous. <laughs> that, that's erroneous. The. Uh, the federal government in particular has acted against the interests of the people many times. It's happened many times. I talked about President Ford. He supposedly had experts in 1976, 30 people died from mandated flu vaccine. That was horrible. Two, how else do we get to this, this idea, this erroneous view of the submission secular government is unlimited? Uh, the terrible growth of the power of the federal government during and after the war between the states, the terrible growth of the power of the federal government during and after the war between the states, otherwise known as the Civil War, which is a misnomer. It wasn't really civil. It was uh, the the war between the states or the war of Northern Aggression. There's nothing in the federal constitution that ever said a state can never leave the Union, period. The easiest way to prove that is to just go to the state constitutions, the Confederate states, like I could open up the North Carolina Constitution, once again, very simply, and look under Article I, Declaration of Rights, Second, Section 4, Secession Prohibited. This state shall ever remain a member of the American Union. The people thereof are part of the American nation. There is no right on the part of this state to secede, and all attempts from whatever source or upon whatever pretext to dissolve this union or to sever this nation shall be resisted with the whole power of the state. Now, that statement is problematic because leaving the union wouldn't dissolve the union, so that's completely erroneous. But the idea is making it clear—it's making clear that North Carolina can secede. So, my point is this: it's very clear. If, if if the federal constitution had anything that said a state can never leave the union, that would be unneeded. What happened, this is a lot of history I didn't learn when I took history in the governor-approved textbook in high school and college, is this. After, after the, the union won the war of northern aggression, at gunpoint, at gunpoint, They surrounded Confederate state capitals and forced them to add that to their constitutions. Now, the Constitution now, I'm reading from, I believe was revised in 1971, but that was initiated after, after the War of Northern Aggression. At gunpoint, Union troops surrounded Raleigh, and they made them change the Constitution. The reason they did that is because there was and is nothing in the federal Constitution that says you can't leave. Lincoln was horrible. Uh, What he did was completely illegal and immoral. It would be like if you were in business with someone and your business partner wanted to leave, and then you had a gun and said, if you leave, I'm going to shoot you in the head. That's the morality of the war between the states. Uh, Lincoln was – was uh, also a horrendous and proven racist. They didn't use the word then, but he was a racist. Before and after the war between the states, he believed that blacks should be recolonized in Africa. I think he wanted to send them to Monrovia. That was named after James Monroe in Africa. <laughs> he wanted to send them to Monrovia and the West and the Indies. That was Lincoln's plan. He didn't believe blacks and whites could live together. Okay, But they don't tell you that in history textbooks. So Lincoln... Uh, People knew the rights. They knew the Constitution more back then. So a lot of papers started to expose how illegal and immoral was, what Lincoln was doing. And he just arrested uh, editors of papers and threw them in jail. He arrested one U.S. congressman in Ohio. Uh, Lincoln was a tyrant. So the federal government grew horribly during and after the war Northern aggression. That's part of the reason that you know, the church has adopted this view that submission to secular government is unlimited. They may not say that, but they acted. They acted. It also happened during during uh, the early 20th century, the so-called progressive era, so-called progressive era. This is, these laws that were progressive, they didn't want to call it socialism, uh, but basically these progressive socialistic laws that expanded the power of the federal government that occurred under President Theodore Teddy Roosevelt and Democratic Woodrow Wilson that massively expanded the power of the state. That's when you got federal funding into education. That's when it started. Uh, schools then didn't become local, and that's when we got these perpetual ad, ad valorem taxes that says – basically it's out of the Communist Manifest. So that's why you can never own your home or a business. You have to perpetually pay the state for that. This started about, about 100 years ago. This started Teddy Roosevelt, Woodrow Wilson, and then yeah, the infection spread to the states. Further expansion of federal power recur- occurred under President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal. That's when they started creating you know, work programs, uh, social insecurity, horrible things, It's just horrible expansion of the power of the federal government. Finally, the icing on the cake, so to speak, or the death blow, was, uh, I think, in, uh, after World War II. The United States never stopped fighting that war. We have the establishment of what's called the National Security State national security state after world war ii the u.s never stopped fighting world war ii what do i mean by that Uh, the department of war was temporary during world war ii but then it became permanent by law and they called it the department of defense which is a misnomer the operation the office of strategic services was a wartime intelligence uh, intelligence unit that became permanent and then was renamed the cia the joint chiefs of staff became permanent the National Security Agency, which was involved with electronics around. That was established in 1952. So so the United States, in a very real sense, never stopped fighting the war. And this is why I didn't play it tonight, but you could listen to President Eisenhower's warning against the power of the, of the military-industrial complex. He built that up for eight years while he was in office, but I think his conscience bothered him on the way out. And you listen to that speech. What, he's, what, in essence, he's saying is that the economy the economy of the U.S. was so – incredibly dominated by the security apparatus, by military and defense contractors, directly and indirectly. It affected every community in the United States. That's what he was saying. So with this power, yeah, <laughs> that put base guild of reason to Asia. And again, Eisenhower, President Eisenhower built up the National Security State for eight years, but gave a nice speech and warned about it on the way out. But listen to that. Take the time. That's a little bit over 20 minutes when President Eisenhower warned about the growth of the military-industrial complex. Finally, I think the last nail in the coffin of you know, the American church not thinking biblically about the power of the state is what happened uh, when the IRS deceived churches to become nonprofit corporations. That wasn't until 1954, if you got that right. In other words, churches were not incorporated until 1954. Churches were organically, were, were intrinsically tax-free. Uh, you do not need to be incorporated as a state to be tax-free. Okay. That, that started in 1954. by doing that 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 enticed and coerced the stu- the, st- the churches then to be under the auspices and power of the federal government that they didn 't have to be under to be considered a corporation and think about it from the state 's perspective all churches are corporations they could dissolve corporations whenever they want to they really can and uh again you see it now the power that they believe they have because just tell churches not to meet and I, I know that you know there's some churches i 'm sure that that are uh, that are not uh submitting to that tyranny. But by and large, uh, you know your evangelical superstars, they've they've endorsed the tyranny. If you want to read more about the power grab that happened with the IRS in 1954 and the horrible ramifications of that in church life, go to hushmoney.org, www.hushmoney.org. That goes through in great detail. Again, there's a book that uh, the guy put that site up, there's there's a book you can read to that end. But those are some of the reasons why the church essentially thinks that the government is God; that uh, the government, you know, the government has unlimited power. You you might think about what happened. How did the evangelical re- church respond during Nazi Germany? Let me put the question this way: If you, if if you were a Christian in Nazi Germany, would you have submitted to Hitler? And before you answer that question, understand this: Erwin Lutzer wrote a book called Hitler's Cross. Okay. And in that, he revealed, I didn't get the exact number, but a majority of the evangelical churches support Hitler. They support Hitler. In their context, they support Hitler. So don't think, you know, if you were there, then, oh, we've been clear that you want to support him. Think about it, because right now, if you're sitting in the States, if you have let the state tell you that, you can't meet indefinitely. You're not a church. A church is an ecclesia. A church is an assembly. An assembly that doesn't assemble isn't a church. That You've let the state tell you you can't have communion. You've let the state tell you you can't have baptism. So think, think twice before you say, oh, yeah, you would have seen it clearly. You you, you wouldn't have submitted to that. Hitler." I'm going to read a little bit from this book by Erwin Lutzer, Hitler's, Hitler's Cross. Uh, very interesting, the research he had done. Let evangelicals not think that there was always a neat division between the true Christians who were not deceived by Hitler and the nationalists who were. When Oswald J. Smith of the People's Church in Toronto, a missionary statesman and a man with impeccable evangelical credentials, visited Germany in 1936, he came back impressed by what Hitler had done for the country. Smith's report was based on what he heard, not from the liberal Christians, but from those who were evangelical. Note also that Smith wrote in nineteen thirty six, long after Hitler's party purges, when the persecution of the Jews had already begun. Germany, Smith said, had awakened. Here is his report. This is from Oswald J. Smith, Smith, pastor of the People's Church in Toronto at the time. What you ask is the real attitude of the German people toward Hitler. There is but one answer. They love him. Yes, from the highest to the lowest, children and parents, old and young and like, they love their new leader. Their confidence in him cannot be shaken. They trust him to a man. What about your elections? I asked. You have no choice. It is Hitler or no one. There is no opponent. We don't want another party, they replied with indignation. We have had enough of parties. We want a true leader, a man who loves us and works for our good. We are satisfied with Hitler. And that feeling exists everywhere. Every true Christian is for Hitler. I know, for it was from the Christians I got most of my information, and right or wrong, they endorse Adolf Hitler. Going back to Luther's, uh, he quoted that in Luther's commentary, most interesting are Smith's comments about the treatment of the Jews. He was sorry that the good Jews had to suffer with the bad, but who can differentiate an hour of mob rule and violence? Even Hitler could not restrain his followers. Smith even believed that an evangelical awakening was coming to Germany with the gospel of Christ preached in the churches. The Christian leaders assured him that as long as the gospel was preached, Germany was safe. Luther goes on and uh, has, has some more comments here. Page 117, there were also laws against treason. This is in Nazi Germany. Treason was defined as anything that was contrary to the will and purposes of the Reich. Criticism was treason. Freedom of the press was treason a failure to further the agenda of the Reich, was treason. Once again, treason was whatever Hitler said it was. In 1936, the People's Court was established to try acts of treason. Five judges were appointed to each court, three of whom were always appointed by Hitler or one of his associates because of their special knowledge in in the defense against subversive activities or because they are more intimately connected with the political trends of the nation. The proceedings were secret, the punishment severe, Crimson red posters announced the names of those who died under the acts of the executioner. The experience of Nazi Germany reminds us that whoever controls a nation's laws controls a nation's agenda and values. Rossus Rushduni put it well, as Christian theologian, quote, behind every system of law, there is a God. To find the God in any system, locate the source of law in that system, end quote. Whether the source of law is a dictator, the courts, or an individual, that person or persons is the god of that system. He adds, when you choose your authority, Rushduni, you choose your god, and where you look for your law, there is your god. With his place as dictator assured, Hitler can make whatever laws he wished and mock his seemingly powerless opposition. he had always regard Protestants with contempt, saying of them, you can do anything you want with them. They will submit. They are insignificant little people, submissive as dogs, and they sweat with embarrassment when you talk to them. He knew that resistance to his agenda came only from a small minority of Protestant leaders. Did you catch that? That was Hitler's view of the Protestants. You can, you can do anything you want with them. They will submit. They're insignificant little people, submissive as dogs, and they sweat with embarrassment when you talk to them. So if you think you're here in the United States, and yeah, you would not have submitted to Hitler. Re- remember, if you think it's moral to have the federal and state constitutions violated by non-meeting. If you think it's moral and if you think it's constitutional, you're wrong. Uh, no one has that power. There is no off switch to the federal constitution. And at the state level, legislation has never endorsed any of these emergency provisions. emergency provisions not to meet. And furthermore, I would say even if they did, based upon conscience, it would still be immoral not to meet. Once again, it's completely different if an individual, based upon that individual's health concerns, chooses to restrict their movements or attend an assembly. That's that individual's liberty. However, for the state to use the sledgehammer and then say everyone has to do that as a moral, and then for the Christians, in particular leaders, to then say, yeah, this this is okay. I mean, indefinitely, as long as you say you don't want us to be a church, we won't be a church, because, again, once again, a church doesn't meet. just isn't a church. So consider... How far, if you believe there is there is a limit to the, to the power of the state, how far are you going to go? If the state does mandate, do you have to get a vaccine? Will you will you submit to that? Will you submit to that? And furthermore, if people don't, then are you going to consider those people, such as myself, traitors? Am I then going to become an enemy of the church? Because because then I'm a de facto enemy of this enemy of the state because I won't submit to that. These things you have to consider. Uh, if the state gets rid of cash based upon cash is allegedly dirty and uh, you know, might be infected with uh, this, uh, this virus, which isn't all that lethal at all, uh, are you going to support that as a Christian? Are you going to say that's good and moral? Because think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Once cash is gone, doesn't matter what the laws are. Have, the state will then have total control over you through the financial. There's, there's going to be no anonymity of transaction, none whatsoever. Now, already, I think it's only under 40% of transactions are in cash anyway, but that still bothers the state. That still bothers the government. So if the state does move to go cashless, are you going to support that as a Christian? Do you think that would be moral? Uh, you know my position, uh I think the Bible speaks to these issues very clearly, and I just hope the churches do wake up, because uh, normally when the state makes a paragraph, it never never lets go of that. You saw it after 9/11. You saw the molestation continued in the airports, with the you know the uh, security theater, uh, the idiocy they did with nail clippers, the idiocy with uh, liquids that never went away. So again, if you think that this is temporary, I'd like to think it is. But normally, once the state uh, assumes power to itself, it doesn't get, get rid of it. Furthermore, then, I, I kind of started out with gun, gun, gun confiscation. I'll end with gun confiscation. You had some of these sad, wicked, mind-controlled pastors that you know, were cooperating with DHS and or FEMA as part of these clergy response teams to, com- to basically uh, attempt to convince people in their congregations to submit to that. That's illegal and immoral. If, 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 whether it's federal or at the state level, they attempt to confiscate guns, are you going to endorse that? Are you going to endorse that? Are you going to think that's moral? Uh, You know my position that that would be wicked. There's no off switch to the Constitution. The right of self-defense is a fundamental human right. There's a very good reason we have that Second Amendment at the federal level, and we have similar language at the state level. I'm glad in the state that I live in, it was an activist organization. Grassroots North Carolina sued the state because one county a few years ago said during a state of emergency they could ban guns. Grassroots North Carolina sued the state of North Carolina and won. So for the current state of crisis, they can't touch our guns for the moment. For the moment. But my concern is this. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if the state flips, if the emergency somehow accelerates or a different emergency uh, develops years from now or months from now and they say, we have to get the guns. Are you going to submit to that? Do you think that would be moral? I think that would be wicked. You've been listening to the KRP radio show, Keeping It Real with Pudgy Miller, guest host, Rocco P. I hope you enjoyed the show. I will hope to be back on the, at least the end of this month, last Friday night of the month. Let's see. Uh, this month is done. That would be, I should be on the air, hopefully, April 24th, that Friday. Thanks for listening to KRP Radio Show. Keep me real, Pudgy Miller. I'd like to thank Pudgy Miller again for the opportunity to use his platform. Pudgy is a fellow believer, and I appreciate his gracious use of this platform. Thank you much, Pudgy. KRP Radio